Welcome to Asbury United Methodist Church. My name's Pastor Will. Thanks for joining our podcast. This is where you'll be able to find all of our sermons, as well as special devotionals and interviews. We hope these messages inspire hope and bring support as you grow on your journey of faith. If you have any questions, or if you want further conversation, or if you simply like what you hear, connect with Asbury through our Facebook page or by checking our website at asburymaitland.org. So starting our discussion, as I mentioned, we're going to talk about ovens and not the oven that is outside that it feels like when you step into, um, but ovens that you find in your home, ranges, if you will. Our oven did this really cool trick like two days before Christmas last year where it set the mood lighting by dimming all the lights in our house at once um, and then emitting this bright red orangish light from the oven and then making this horrible screeching noise all at once. Mind you, this is two days before Christmas. We had already bought all the food. We bought everything and just thinking, what in the world are we going to do? Um, we got a little bit better at learning how to use the broiler feature because that still worked, but that was about it. Um, most of the food, top was cooked, bottom, not so much. So we ended up, we bought a new oven, and it had to match our fridge. So, okay, we bought this one, and it was on sale. Great. We get it. We get it in. Plug, play, ready to go. Well, I learned, or maybe I realized maybe to the full extent, that my wife, although I'm kind of a plug-and-play kind of person, who's plug-and-play? Anybody else here plug-and-play? Okay. Yeah, my wife is the read-the-instruction-manual kind of person. Who's an instruction-manual kind of person? Okay, yeah, we've got a couple more of you. Well... You know, I just think, yeah, it's an oven. You know, you just put stuff in, it heats it up, you're ready to go, you cook some macaroni on top, golden. Well, she started reading the instructions, and not only, okay, we've got a cooktop, we've got an oven feature, but then we also found it has a convection feature, which, you know, most ovens have. Okay, that's pretty cool. It also has an air fry feature. Ah, yeah, we didn't even know that. We haven't even used it. But anyway, we have it, just in case. Um, we also have another feature. It's a bread proofing feature. What does that do? I don't know, but we got it. We don't, you know, so it's there. Uh, another feature, it connects to the Wi-Fi. Um, I don't know if that's just to like tell you that you've burnt your food. Uh, come get it. it. Smells terrible in here, Will. Come get your food. Um, but it has a Wi-Fi feature. Um, and then last but not least, it actually has a dehydrate feature as well. So if you wanted to make like jerky or, you know, maybe dehydrate some fruit as well. It has this feature. All of these are incredible. But had we not, or rather had Alicia not read the instruction manual, we would have no clue about all the stuff that this oven does for us. And I started thinking about that a little bit, and I think sometimes that might be who we are as Christians. You know, the instruction manual is a conversation with the person or the group that made this, in, you know, this item, and there's instructions, maybe there's things, don't do this, maybe do this. If something goes wrong, here's how to fix it. And I think when we are invested in God, when we are in alignment with God, when we are in tune with God, it can be like reading the instruction manual, maybe even for the first time. And it could be a moment for us to really unpack all that we are, all who we are, and all that God has given us in our gifts and our talents, and so, so much more. And I think that story is really played out to the fullest 
in the story of Joseph. So we're going to dive right in talking about Joseph. Joseph was one of 12 sons, 12, y'all, 12 sons born to Jacob and Rachel in 1590 BC in Canaan. He wasn't the youngest, but he was the second youngest. So he wasn't the baby, as though the babies are usually kind of treated the most favorable. I'm the baby, I know this to be true. Um, But he was the second, and he still got that favorable, favorable treatment. Some say that it's because he was just generally kind and compassionate. Others say that it was because Rachel was Jacob's true love. And other people say that it was because he was a dreamer. He would have these dreams. And so his father thought, okay, he must be destined for greatness and kind of treated him as so. However, he quickly found out that his dreams didn't always please everybody. So we're going to start in Genesis 37. It's a long story. It goes all the way through, and we're going to end up at 45. So we're just doing select verses, reading throughout. So here we go. This is the first part, Genesis 37, verses 5 through 7. It says, One night Joseph had a dream, and when he told his brothers about it, they hated him more than ever. Listen to this dream, he said. We were out in the field tying up bundles of grain. Suddenly my bundle stood up, and your bundles all gathered around and bowed low before mine. If your brothers hate you, don't tell them you have dreams like this. But I think it shows the humility and it shows kind of the transparency that these biblical characters, uh, these people in the story of God throughout time, they are real people. And he makes this mistake of telling his brothers that. Well, as it says, they hated him even more and they ended up scheming a plan to basically capture him. And they do. And they capture him and they throw him in a pit. And then eventually they see a group of people go by and they think, maybe we can get some money for him. So they sell him into slavery, but Joseph, being Joseph, stays positive, stays optimistic, and eventually catches the eye of Potiphar, who is head, uh, or captain rather, of Pharaoh's guard. So this is a powerful person. Joseph catches his eye and ends up making him head of the household. And he ends up also catching the eye of Potiphar's wife, the wife of Potiphar. And that doesn't go so well. Even though Joseph had all of this power, he ends up kind of landing himself in some trouble. It says this, this is Genesis 39, but Joseph refused after, this is after Potiphar's wife had made an advance on him. Look, he told her, my master trusts me with everything in his entire household. No one here has more authority than I do. He has held back nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against God. So that we see in this moment, Joseph is still righteous, even though this situation comes upon him to where he has the wife of his boss basically coming upon him. But that leads us to the first kind of point that we're going to talk about here, is that even though we have these gifts, your gift may need unpacking. It may be kind of wrapped up in something else. We're going to see that Joseph has these dreams, but then he uses his gifts as an outward sign. He starts using his gifts for other people. We have a little son, Liam. He'll be three at the end of the month, 
and we try to be really strategic about gifts and everything else like that for him. You know, we don't want to just get him a gift just because, just because he wants it. We want to be smart. You know, we don't want thousands of toys around our house. You know, I want to make sure, okay, is this going to help him grow? Um, is this going to help, you know, exercise not only maybe his body, but also his mind? Um, is this going to make him better at soccer? Um, you know, the important questions. Um, but I, we get him these gifts, and we're strategic about it. Okay, this is what we're getting him. And nine times out of ten, what happens? Plays with the box. Yeah? Plays with the box. No, Liam, that's just the box. The ball's over here. You know, and he gets caught up in it, and he gets so fascinated with the packaging that he doesn't get to the real gift. And I think sometimes we do the same. We kind of see our gift, but we don't fully open it up. We don't fully look inside to see what God has in store for us. But Joseph, he does that. He does some unpacking, and he sees, okay, I have these dreams, but how can I, and with being so close and connected to these dreams, use this for other people? Okay, Joseph, now thrown in jail, still stays positive, still stays optimistic, has two other people thrown in jail with him. This is Pharaoh's cupbearer, who basically makes sure that Pharaoh's wine glass is always full. So probably somebody Pharaoh likes a lot. But then also his baker as well. Well, they have these dreams. They tell them to Joseph, and here's how he responds. He says, this is what the dream means, Joseph said. The three branches represent three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift you up and restore you to your position as the chief cupbearer. And please... Remember me and do me a favor when things go well for you. Mention me to Pharaoh so he might let me out of this place. So he has these interpretations. He tells the same thing to the baker, except his fate isn't so fortunate. And they come true. They come true. And the cupbearer is restored to his place right next to Pharaoh. The baker, unfortunately, is executed but even though the cupbearer was next to the pharaoh, he forgets about Joseph. Until two years go by. Being right next to pharaoh, pharaoh's talking about these dreams he had. Why can't anybody figure this out? What's going on? And that sparks the memory of the cupbearer. And he remembers Joseph and his ability. He says this, There was a young Hebrew man with us in prison who was a slave of the captain of the guard. We told him our dreams, and he told us what each of our dreams meant. So Joseph is now in this position where he eventually is able to interpret not only the dreams of these other prisoners, but interpret the dreams of the most powerful person in Egypt, the ruler of all the land. Which leads us to our next point, that your gift could put you in places where new gifts are found. Interpreting dreams was where he started. Now he's in a position of interpreting the dreams of the most powerful person, and then interprets Pharaoh's dreams. In 37, this is chapter 41, it says, Joseph's suggestions were well received by Pharaoh and his officials. So Pharaoh asked his officials, can we find anyone else like this man, so obviously filled with the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has revealed the meaning of the dreams to you, clearly no one else is as intelligent or wise as you are. You will be in charge of my court, and all my people will take orders from you. Only I, sitting on my throne, will have a rank higher than yours. Joseph, going into slavery, thrown into jail, is now the number two person in Egypt. He is the number two person that all the other people respond to and look up to. 
So now he is not only the person who interprets dreams, but he's now in charge of managing all these people. He's in charge of ordering the house of Pharaoh. He is in a real position of power. And as the number two here at Asbury, it's a pretty good gig, I admit. Um, but the interpretation of the dreams, so what was it? He has these dreams that Pharaoh sees these cows. There's seven of them. They're scattered along the bank. They're healthy. They're eating. Life is good. But then all of a sudden, three, or sorry, seven scrawny cows come up and swallow up the healthy cows. Then he has another dream where he sees these seven bundles of crops and grain and all that, and they're swallowed up by seven scrawny bundles of crops and grain. And what Joseph tells Pharaoh is that this is seven years of plentiful harvest. Things are going to be good, bursting at the seams for seven years, but then we're going to have seven years of nothing. No crops, no animals, nothing. And Joseph not only communicates this, but then is in charge of storing and planning the administration of all of this. So it's not just interpreting a dream, but we also see here that Joseph potentially saves the lives of hundreds, if not thousands of people who would have previously been without food and water and all that through his proper planning and through his gift that God gave him. So after he does this, he stores things up. We see healing that comes because these people get to stay alive. But then we also see healing that happens in Joseph's own life which is our last point, that our gift could lead into a place of healing. So we know that there's a famine. People are without food. We know this is affecting the area around Joseph, but it also affects the area where his brothers are. They're without food too, and they need to eat. They need to feed their families. So they show up because they had instituted a way where they were going to start distributing food. So they show up to collect food, and immediately, Joseph sees them and recognizes them, but they don't recognize him. So Joseph starts to wonder, what should I do? I'm the number two. I could have them wiped out, no problem, snapping my fingers. But he says, let me see what their character is. Let me see if they've changed. Let me see if they would do the same to me, what maybe they might do to my brother. So they start setting him up, or Joseph starts setting them up. He puts them through four tests. They pack their food, they request, or sorry, they request food, they pack their food up, but then Joseph has his guards pack in extra silver and send them back, seeing if they'll bring it back, and they do. Joseph also requests, if you all come back, I hear you have a younger brother, Benjamin, bring him with you. And they think, there's no way our father is going to let us take Benjamin. We already lost Joseph, but they plead with their father Jacob, and they bring ben Benjamin back. There's number two. Number three... After they finally come back, they're all in Egypt. They gather around. He says, hey, I want to have you all out to a nice dinner. So he has them over to the house, has everybody sitting, seated around the table in their birth order, which kind of scratch, makes them scratch their head a little bit. But he ends up giving Benjamin more food than anybody else. He wants to see how they're going to treat him. He wants to see if they're going to treat him as unfortunate as they treated Joseph. Are they going to betray him? Are they going to steal his food? Are they going to look down on him? down upon him, but they don't. And then last test is they take Joseph's silver cup and they place it in their bags, in Benjamin's bag, and they send them on their way, setting them up to be caught 
and then see how they're going to defend Benjamin. Are they going to say, hey, we don't know this guy. Do what you have to do, just don't harm us. But they don't. They show their character. They show their love for their brother. They show their remorse even for losing Joseph and say, please, whatever you do, don't do away with our brother. It wasn't meant to be like this. And that's when that healing begins. Joseph starts to see that they have changed, that they are sorry, they are remorseful for their previous actions. And Joseph breaks down so much that he finally reveals who he is. This is chapter 45. It picks up in verse 3 saying, I'm Joseph, he said to his brothers. Is my father still alive? But his brothers were speechless. They were stunned to realize that Joseph was standing there in front of them. Please come closer, he said to them. So they came closer, and he said again, I'm Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery in Egypt. Skipping down to verse 14, it says, Weeping with joy, he embraced Benjamin, and Benjamin did the same. Then Joseph kissed each of his brothers and wept over them. And after they began talking freely with him. This is the word of God for us, the people of God, to which we say, thanks be to God. So we see this healing happen. We see new gifts unlocked. We see people's lives saved through the storing of food and grain. And we see this reconciliation. Because I think that leads us to our last point, that when our gifts are aligning with God, they work so much better, don't they? When we are in line with what God has in store for us, they work so much better. Amari Cooper, He's a football player, 2014, probably one of the best wide receivers, played for Alabama. He plays for Cleveland Browns currently, drafted by the Oakland Raiders. He says this. He says, all the gifts and talents we have are from God, but they are also for God, for his glory and for his pleasure. Don't waste them. Make grace use of them and make him proud. Our gifts are not only from God, but they're also for God. And we can see so much so that it works so much better when we are in line with all that God has for us. A couple years back, we attended a wedding up in North Carolina. This was a family friend of ours. And instead of kind of having the traditional wedding where you have the wedding one night and then kind of send everybody home, they had actually some plans for the following day, one of which was whitewater rafting. And so we thought, yeah, this will be a good time. I was with my parents, and so we show up. Well, unfortunately, not all the guides showed up for whitewater rafting. So we get there, and they say, hey, we've got enough spots for you, kind of. They say, we've got enough boats and everything else like that, but we don't have enough guides. Is there anybody here who has any experience whitewater rafting? They said, we'll set you up for success. We'll put you in the middle. We'll tell you what to do. You just got to follow our lead. It's easy. And I'm looking around thinking, this guy's a liar. It's not going to be easy, but whatever. I'll do it. Because I'd been whitewater rafting a couple times. I said, I know the basics of it. So they said, all right, come on. So they pulled me over to the side, and they say, okay, number one rule you have to mention is boats go forward. Right? Yeah, not a hard concept. Boats go forward. If you want to go that way, you turn your boat to face that way, and you go forward. If you want to go that way, you turn your boat that way, and you go forward. So 
they're giving me this pep talk as I'm riding. You know, we're in this old bus, and you know, we're riding up the mountain, and they're telling me all this different stuff to do. And they said, again, just follow our line. There's going to be bumps. The rapids aren't crazy today. You got this. So we get in the boat. We're going down. We're about halfway down, and we've done pretty good. Not great. Not horrible. Everybody's still in the boat. Everybody's alive. So we're there. We're getting there. Well, about halfway down, one of the guys on the boat, I don't know if he was just trying to show off for his girlfriend. I don't know if he just didn't like me, but he goes rogue. I'm a lover, y'all. I'm not a fighter. I was close to being a fighter at that point. He starts yelling out commands to other people that are going against what I'm saying. Say two, you know, right side, two strokes. One, two, okay, we turn it. Left side, two strokes. He would start saying, no, 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 we need to go left side. And he's taking his paddle just out there. You know, I'm in the back here trying to calm the situation, saying, no, that's not going to help us. No, that's not going to help us. And sure enough, we lost control of the boat. We smashed up against rocks. Everybody stayed in, but it was pretty messy. And we get down to the bottom, and we get out of this thing. And thank God, we made it out alive. But I just sit there and I think, you know, here is someone who you had a guide who was doing pretty good. It wasn't perfect, I'll admit, but at least had some sense of where we were going. And if even if we would have stuck together, we would have made it down so much better. And again, I was not a good guide. But I think about when God is the guide of our boat, guiding us, directing us, paddle here, don't paddle there, turn this way, don't go that way. And we try to go rogue. We think, no, 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 no. We know it best. We know it best. And we try to do it ourselves. It ends up being a mess. It ends up being chaotic and sometimes can end up being a little bit dangerous. But when we align ourselves with God, when we are in tune that God has in store for us, all that God has in store for us, we have so much that we can do. We can change the world. Amen? Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks for the gifts you have given us, for the opportunities, the situations where we can see your glory shine. In those moments, I pray that we would trust you, that you are a God who has the best in store for us. And maybe even that means returning to a place of pain to unpack some other gifts. Maybe that means saying sorry, finding some reconciliation where we've previously been hurt. God, I would pray that we would trust you in all that we do to really, truly live into the gifts that you have given us because they're all for your glory. For it's in your name we pray. Amen.